The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound on. With Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Joe Biden allies are considering a super PAC to boost his lagging campaign. Meanwhile, Tim Ryan drops out of the Democratic presidential debate, and Amy Klobuchar uh, qualifies for the next presidential debate. And key senators circulating a legislation banning. Iran nuclear waivers. All of that, plus an exclusive, folks, an exclusive Bloomberg Radio Sound On interview with the Interior Secretary. We talk all about fracking. Fracking with Secretary David Bernhardt, the U.S. Secretary of Interior. And the Nats, hey, Nats 2-0, baby. Doing a good, another win. All right, but first let's get a check on the headlines from my good friend and fellow Nats fan, Nancy Lyons. Nats? That's right, Kevin. Republican Senator Lindsey Graham, a top ally of President Trump, has introduced a resolution condemning the Democratic-controlled House for pursuing what he calls a closed-door illegitimate impeachment inquiry. They've created a process in the Intel uh, Committee that's behind closed doors, doesn't provide uh, access uh, to the president's accuser, shuts Republicans out for uh, all practical purposes, and is a unworthy substitute for the way you need to do it. Forty-eight Republicans sit on those committees that are conducting the inquiry. The Washington Post reports Democrats are looking to take that probe public as soon as mid-November. Well, today there was a pause in depositions as lawmakers honored Democratic Congressman Elijah Cummings, who died last week. He is the first African-American lawmaker to lie in state in the Capitol. Elijah was truly a master of the House. He respected its history, and in it, he helped shape America's future. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi grew up in Baltimore in the district represented by Cummings. A wake and funeral are planned for tomorrow in Baltimore with eulogies from former Presidents Barack Obama and Bill Clinton. Metro's plan to privatize some bus routes in Northern Virginia led to a strike today by bus drivers, disrupting thousands of commuters. Metro contracted out nearly 20 bus routes to the French firm Transdev, the first such move at the region's transit system in 40 years. And after nearly a year of negotiations, Transdev has yet to agree to a contract with the unionized bus drivers. You get poor wages, uh, terrible safety culture. It's everything. 
They don't have any health care. The union's Thomas Carroll says the strike will continue until a labor agreement is reached. Transdev tells Bloomberg today's strike was premature and needlessly inconveniences the passengers. Martin DeCaro, Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 HD2. Metro says it's expecting big crowds this weekend for the 44th annual Marine Corps Marathon. So extra trains will be running on the blue and yellow lines this Sunday from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. The yellow line will have additional trains between Huntington and Mount Vernon Square. The blue line will have them between Franconia Springfield and Stadium Armory. Extra trains will also be on those routes from 11.15 a.m. to 4.15 p.m. Washington is getting ready for its first World Series game in the district in 86 years. And the Washington Post is reporting on who is likely to throw out the first pitch in tomorrow's game. The paper says, according to multiple people with knowledge of the plan, Chad Cordero will throw it to Brian Schneider, the twosome that closed out games for the Nationals team when it returned to Washington in 2005. Cordero was an all-star pitcher. Schneider was his catcher for most of that first season. Well, it's time now for the Beltway Business Report. Here is Bloomberg's Larry Kofsky. Nancy Technology shares had a good day as stocks finished mixed. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 28. The S&P 500 gained 5. Then as that composite climbed 66. Intel is higher in late trading. It gave an upbeat fourth quarter forecast. That is seen as a sign that demand for the semiconductors that power cloud computing data centers is improving despite the U.S.-China trade dispute third quarter results beat estimates. Visa is reporting better than expected quarterly earnings, even as it spent more to entice banks to issue cards on its network. Earnings of $3 billion were down from $3.3 billion last year. Payments volume rose 9%. A planned auction for Barney's New York has been canceled. An authentic brand says it expects to complete its purchase of Barney's intellectual property next week. A consortium that would have kept Barney's as a going concern failed to place a qualified bid. The Bloomberg 991 Washington, D.C. area stock index gained two-tenths of one percent. You're up to date on business from the Beltway to Baltimore. I'm Larry Kofsky. This is Bloomberg 991 105.7 FM HD2. Thanks, Larry. Global news 24 hours a day on air and at TikTok on Twitter. Powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in more than 120 countries. I'm Nancy Lyons. Back to you, Kevin. Thank you, Nancy. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Still basking in my celebratory glow of another Nationals win. I'm a bandwagon jumper, folks. I am now an all-out Nats fan. Here with me in studio to continue the celebration, Sagar Shamali, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies, former Treasury spokesperson for terrorism and financial intelligence. But you're from New York. Are you a Yankees fan? I am a Yankees fan. So who are you rooting for? Nats? Well, you know, I lived in D.C. for 12 years, so I have a a piece of my heart goes to the Nats, for sure. I'm really happy for them. A piece of your heart. Yeah. (laughs) We're thrilled to have you. We're going to talk foreign policy with you coming up. Uh, All of this stuff with... uh, You see this? Senator Lindsey Graham is actually asking for (laughs) Speaker Pelosi's help on sanctions with Turkey. I want to get your take on that. But we've got more stuff to talk about with Dave Brown and with Anna Edgerton. Dave, of course, is a Democratic strategist, former advisor to Senator Patty Murray, and Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg News politics editor. Let's start with Senator Graham. What a day he's had, Anna. So he had lunch with President Trump and a couple of other GOP senators, and he started the day with the—he had a press conference today as well— And he introduced legislation that would do what exactly? Just uh, call into question how Democrats and Speaker Pelosi are going about this impeachment thing. Yeah, this is 
Oh, is your mic on? Your mic is on. <laughs> Here we Sorry. Go. Apologies, Anna. Um, this is a resolution co-sponsored by Graham and the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and the resolution would basically you know, ask for a more open process in the impeachment proceedings. This is a largely symbolic measure, and he's gotten a little bit of pushback from colleagues such as Rand Paul saying, you know, if you really want to do something concrete, you should actually hold your own hearings. Graham, I'll remind you, is the chairman of the of the Judiciary Committee, so Don't he does have. Don't you love that from Senator Paul? Oh, wait. <laughs> like. He he agrees that he shouldn't be removed from office, but just poking, poking his friend in the Republican Party. Paul the does that. Yeah, yeah, they totally do. Let's take a listen, Dave Brown, Democratic strategist, to what Senator Lindsey Graham had to say at his press conference today discussing all of the impeachment inquiry. Here's Senator Lindsey Graham. If we had done this to a Democrat, you'd be eating us alive. If we took an opening statement of a witness and said, there, doesn't that look bad? You'd want to know, well, did anybody question the witness? How did cross-examination go? Dave, why not just have these hearings in public? Well, we will, right? I mean, this is step one. Step two will be public hearings, and then step three will be a, a trial when, assuming the president's impeached, when the president's uh, legal team will be able to cross-examine everybody. The, the reality is, and this is why I, I'm, I'm just amused by, by this, and I think that the senator's being pretty disingenuous, which is unfortunate. Um, the House is following the House rules that were adopted by the Republican majority in 2015 and that Speaker John Boehner uh, signed. It's, it's House Rule 11, and it uh, gives committees the ability to hold ex parte uh, executive sessions where they are doing what they're doing, which is deposing witnesses. And the reality is that you've got, I think, it's, I think it's fully a quarter of the Republican caucus that respectively sits on one of the three committees of jurisdiction. So you have Republicans in the room, they're cross-examining the witnesses, you've got Democrats who are asking questions, you have staff who are asking questions, and this process is moving at an appropriate pace. It will become public, and then the more formal part of this process will be public hearings, at which time you will absolutely see the more formal cross-examination that, that apparently the senator thinks should be occurring today. I just, I don't really understand his point. I think whenever you're reduced to arguing process as opposed to substance, you're losing. Well, I mean, I think there's two points here, Anna. Number one, the stunt yesterday. <laughs> Did you see this? They, 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 I, I'm not going to use the word storm because I don't think, I mean, troops stormed Normandy, folks. They didn't storm the ship. <laughs> like, I, I, they strolled. They, they strolled. strolled in. It was they more strolled. of a walk, a casual walk. <laughs> I mean, they angrily strolled. They, a stro angrily Ang strolled. Yeah. Right. Was there actual debate about what word choice to use? We're referring to the Republicans who went in yesterday to the secure facility. What's been the fallout, Anna, from that? I guess, I mean, I mean, we make light of it, but this is supposed to be a secure facility. They're having this impeachment inquiry. But did it, did it succeed in the sense that it created the illusion of, not even illusion, the, the reality that Republicans are not taking this impeachment inquiry seriously or much more than a political cable news fodder? Yeah, so two takeaways here. And for the record, we used barge instead of storm. Of course, because um, Craig in. Gordon yeah. would never allow... <laughs> Would never allow for storm to be used because right. it's the wrong word choice. Right. Go um, ahead. So two takeaways. One, this was kind of the physical embodiment of the process argument that the Republicans and President Trump have been making. They've been saying they want this to be a more open process. They barged in to kind of um, you know, physically put themselves in the space where this hearing was supposed to happen. It was Laura Cooper, a, a Pentagon official who was supposed to be testifying yesterday and did eventually after about a five-hour delay. The other takeaway is, like you said, this is a secure hearing room. And that is something that members of Congress have always taken very seriously and I think was kind of unsettling for people to see that they – 
that these members of Congress brought, especially their personal electronic devices, into this room, which can mm -hmm. very much compromise the security of this space where they review classified information. From a security standpoint, Hagar Shamali, you have deep experience in this, having worked in Republican and Democratic administrations. The cell phone mm -hmm. argument about rooms and cell phones. Just walk us through the Jack Bauer-esque type of mentality of not being able to have cell phones in a secure room. Right. You know, there were a cadre of us nerds on Twitter who blew up <laughs> when we saw that, that Republicans were tweeting from a SCIF. A SCIF stands for Secure Compartmented Intelligence Facility. So it is a secure uh, room or, or floor or whatever it might be that's been made secure because it's been made to ensure that there can be no interference by foreign or other uh, counter counterintelligence threats um, who could be listening in on the conversation, who could be bugging the room, all of that, right? So it's a secure facility. By bringing a phone into that room, you are essentially bringing in something, anything that could, that if hacked, and if you're a political leader, you, there's a high likelihood your phone is hacked, um, they, they could turn on the mic and start listening to those proceedings or conversations. So or do they whatever. have to redo all the security now? Arguably. No, they don't need to redo it because it's not like they brought in a bunch of foreigners who brought in gifts or things like yeah. that. It's more, it's to tell you the truth, if we had done that when I was at the Treasury Department or the White House, we would have had a security violation. And if you have three security violations or if you have major security violations, you can get suspended or expelled. It's just, it's just so, remember when Omarosa was like recording inside <laughs> of the of the Situation Room? I mean, seriously, this isn't the first. Mm -hmm. Anyway, exactly. the bottom line though, I think when you look at polls, good Republicans who are looking at this, and I think when you look at independent voters, I think the goal according to the reporting that I've done and talking to sources connected to the White House, the goal of yesterday's stunt, and it was a stunt, that's an accurate word choice, was to continue to create the presentation that this impeachment inquiry does is not leaving the political cable news fodder world and is not something that senior Republicans, whether it's Mitch McConnell or Lindsey Graham, are taking seriously. Panel stays coming up. We pivot to foreign policy. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find me on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. We're careful with our words here. DC's Bureau Chief Craig Gordon, Kevin Whitelaw, Mike Shepard, and of course, Anna Edgerton and all of our editors, very careful with that. They didn't storm, they angrily strolled. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump has repeatedly made it clear that it would be much harder for us to make a trade deal if that the authorities was, resort to the use of violence against protesters in Hong Kong. That was Vice President Mike Pence speaking earlier today, giving a foreign policy address about the Hong Kong protesters and whether or not U.S. officials will make, and President Trump ultimately, would make a trade deal with China as the continued protest, protests uh continued to go on. It was a wide-ranging speech that the vice president gave. And one of the other topics that he addressed was this ceasefire that has now been made permanent with Turkey and the Kurds. I'm Kevin Cirilli, and my guests right now are some all-stars who can help navigate through the politics and the policy of this. Agar Shamali, CEO of Greenwich Media Strategies. She previously worked in Democratic and Republican administrations. Uh, in Treasury for Terrorism and Financial Intelligence. Uh, Dave Brown's here, a Democratic strategist, and my colleague Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg News politics editor. Okay, so the big development, we're 24 hours out now, Hagar, from the U.S. making permanent 
this ceasefire with Turkey and the Kurds, uh, the U.S. Kurdish allies in northern Syria. What's been the reaction from the Kurds 24 hours into this, Hagar? Well, we're hearing reports that the ceasefire is not exactly perfect just yet. Now, we never expected it to be perfect. We always expected to hear stories of skirmishes. We've heard stories of, of Turkish military officials um, lauding uh, the death of certain Kurds and 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 standing over them and, and clapping and, and, and commemorating things like that. And so, you know, we're, we're just not there yet. It's too soon. It was way too soon for the president to withdraw the sanctions because that was the only point of leverage we had. Now, I don't want to argue that I thought, I never thought that sanctions were the right maneuver to fix this decision by President. President Trump. Um, as you know, I love to talk about sanctions. I, I, I am very in favor of a lot of sanctions programs. But this is this was not the right maneuver. It's not that Trump couldn't economically obliterate, quote unquote, Turkey's economy. Um, but uh, using it as a means of holding them back from their goals was never going to happen. Hagar, coming up, we're going to hear from the Interior Secretary, David Bernhardt. And one of the things that the administration is advocating for is to uh, explore energy resources in the Arctic Reserve and, and Alaska Anwar. And I was when I was interviewing him earlier for Bloomberg Television, and we'll hear this coming up, I was thinking about how when you juxtapose the notion of the administration looking to uh, at, at energy resources here in the United States, coupled with the president's rhetoric and actions in the last couple of weeks, withdrawing from certain foreign conflicts, that is a very... That's an argument that hasn't been injected into the mainstream, let alone from the White House political world in quite some time. Right. So a lot of the a lot of President Trump's maneuvers regarding Syria and Turkey have actually they've just they haven't gone along with a lot of his talking points. Right. So his his point about getting out of, quote unquote, endless wars. Right. I think a lot of Americans would would agree with him on that. Um, certainly the Democratic candidates agree with him on that goal. But. Uh, taking a, a portion of our troops and putting them in Iraq to fight ISIS there is doing the opposite. Syria was not an endless war for the United States. But do you hear what, the point that I'm making? And I'm not trying to jump all over the map here, but the point that I'm making of you hear this on the campaign trail, right? And we've got Dave Brown here, an insider for the Democratic presidential candidates. You hear this on the campaign trail in both parties, no matter the year. Why are we relying on the Middle East for oil? And that's how this gets watered down, right? In, right. in mainstream politics. Why do we rely on the Middle right. East for foreign oil? Does this not, for better or worse, give the president an opportunity to say, I'm trying to get oil from Alaska. I'm trying to drill baby drill, Sarah Palin, in, in Alaska. And I'm pulling troops and ending, winding down needless wars in the Middle East. So how do you combat that? You Except know? that he can't because half of the troops in Syria he sent to Iraq and the other half he sent to protect, protect the oil fields in the northeast of Syria, where the Kurds are. The very fact that he made that decision or that somebody in the administration advised him to make that decision underscores that they do think, number one, that they do think that there's a real threat there, that whether it's Iran or Turkey or Russia or the Syrian government could take advantage of those oil fields. But it undermines the talking point domestically or and, and internationally that the United States doesn't care about Middle East oil, right? We continuously say that. We've been saying that for years. But then to go say that we're not going to protect the Kurds, but we're going to take our troops and protect the oil fields definitely puts that message, flips it on. Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg News Politics Editor. Take a listen to what Vice President Mike Pence said earlier about this topic while speaking earlier today. Here he is. Turkey and our Kurdish allies have now created an opportunity. The international community can create 
a safe zone that we believe will restore peace and security for all the peoples of this war-torn region. What's the reaction been, Anna Edgerton, from Republicans and hawkish Republicans in the Senate in particular on this, what the administration describes as a permanent ceasefire? A lot of the concern that we hear from Republicans is that by international community securing this safe zone, we mean Russia. And Russia has been one of the elements of this equation that has really come out on top with the, re- with, with the withdrawal of U.S. troops. That Russia, of course, backs Bashar al-Assad, the Syrian president, who has occupied some of the territory formerly controlled by the Kurds, and also has become closer with Turkey. And the more that the U.S. antagonizes Turkey with threats of sanctions from Congress or um, you know, different uh, kind of ways to push back on this military action, even though the president's, President Trump seemed to be okay with it, that creates an opportunity for Russia to come in and solidify their alliance with Turkey as well. Dave, take us on the, the 2020 campaign trail through the lens of foreign policy. It seems that all of the Democratic top-tier candidates are just criticizing the president's foreign policies and, and his rhetorical approach. Foreign policy by tweet is the common thread that we hear. But when will there be true differences that are illustrated between Commander-in-Chief Elizabeth Warren, Commander-in-Chief Joe Biden, Commander-in-Chief Bernie Sanders? When will that start to be more apparent? Because I don't think it has been in all of the debates, and I've been to every one. Well, I think that the key difference between the Democratic field in its entirety and the president is, we know that, though. is strategy, right? And so – Every single Democrat is approaching foreign policy through the prism of what, are, what is in the strategic interest of the United States. And that supposes that there is a strategy that is informing U.S. foreign policy. You know, if you think about it from the perspective of every president having a foreign policy doctrine, chaos is probably Trump's, right? So if I'm Pete Buttigieg or I'm Senator Elizabeth Warren, part of what I need to do on the, on the campaign field is differentiate myself from that and be able to articulate a cogent, coherent informed approach, whether that's an approach to denuclearizing the Korean Peninsula, whether it's a, a strategic approach to China and actually exacting trade concessions that uh, are in the best interests of farmers and U.S. manufacturing, or whether it's in the Middle East, as has already been discussed, in terms of ensuring we're not opening a power vacuum that Putin can take advantage of. And so I'm, that's the difference. And I'm surprised the foreign policy hasn't come up as, as much as it would candidly as Joe Biden would have hoped, because in the spin room, You've got the top uh, in the last debate. Seriously, in Ohio, they sent out Senator Chris Coons, Democrat Delaware, to really draw a contrast with Joe Biden's foreign policy worldview and that of Elizabeth Warren. I just think that there's been so many other stuff in the news that they haven't been able to draw that contrast as forcefully as they would have liked. And I do think Democratic voters do want to hear what commander in chief. You're shaking your head no, Dave, but I think they do want to hear about what would How would each of these candidates lead on foreign policy? Coming up, an exclusive interview with Interior Secretary David Bernhardt. Don't miss that. Download the Bloomberg Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes and Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Earlier today, I spoke with U.S. Secretary of Interior David Bernhardt for Bloomberg Television, and then we interviewed him and recorded a separate interview for Bloomberg Radio. Take a listen to my interview with Secretary Bernhardt. 
Mr. Secretary, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me today. All right, so you were just in my home state of Pennsylvania, not in Philly, not outside of Philly and Delco. You were actually in Pittsburgh, Steeler country, with President Trump yesterday. What did you guys talk about? Well, the president talked about the fact that he um, was able to deliver on every promise that he'd made to the people of Pittsburgh when he went to Pittsburgh three years ago and gave a major energy speech. I was at that speech, and he talked a lot about deregulatory policies uh, and, and how permitting use in particular. And now, here you are, Mr. Secretary, today with the this big announcement about the way that permitting uses has actually been a, a source of revenue for states like Pennsylvania. Well, that's exactly right. Today, we are pleased to announce that we um, have just closed our books on fiscal year uh, 2019. And in doing that, um, it's clear that revenue from oil and gas operations on federal lands is nearly 100% above where it was in fiscal year uh, 2016. And what that means is that we have generated about $11.96 billion on uh, federal land. And that money some of it, most of it, come, much of it comes to the federal government, but much of it goes right back to the states where those uh, revenues were produced. And the states use those monies for schools, for roads, for law enforcement, and for the things that they really need. And this money means a lot to those states. For example, New Mexico receives nearly a little over a billion dollars uh, this year. A from billion dollars. A billion dollars. Wow. It's a lot of money. So, so one of the, I mean, you know this. I mean, it, it's such a politically contentious time, Secretary Bernhardt, and critics of, uh, of of the administration's policies on this front, especially as it relates to fracking, they'll, they'll say it's bad for the environment and whatnot, and that it's a big boon, a boom for the for the private sector. Uh, but what you're saying is that th these permits. Uh, these deregulatory policies have actually been a, a way of investment almost in in communities in states like PA, in states like New Mexico, Colorado, where you're from, uh, and and that this has been a way to invest in, in the U.S., no? Absolutely. When you look at um, small businesses uh, that are created uh, in these areas where these activities are taking place, what you see is tremendous economic opportunity. And, you know, this is uh, just a part of the overall vision that the president had. And that vision has led to common sense regulation, lower taxes for the American people, and, um, and frankly, greater economic opportunities. When, when you hear the president say um, that, you know, six and a half million jobs have been created, um, that unemployment is at 50-year lows for um, those without a high school education. Those are, those are phenomenal facts. Um, I, I met with some folks from a state uh, a couple days ago. You know, that state's unemployment rate right now is 2.5%. And we have, this month, I believe that um, there were more um, more jobs open, seven million jobs open, and about five million people unemployed. And think about that as a factoid. All right, I gotta ask you about Anwar, because there's a lot of talk in, in recent weeks about the Middle East and oil and, and whatnot, and, and a, many folks uh, say, why aren't we looking at what we have at Anwar? And so the president obviously has made a major announcement as it relates to, to permit usage uh, in, in leasing and drilling uh, in Alaska's Anwar. 
uh, at the reserves. Are we going to get a sale by the end of the year? Well, I think we're certainly going to finalize our plan for leasing, and then we'll move through the process to initiate a sale. And that is very exciting because the reality is uh, Congress and the folks in D.C. debated uh, for about 40 years what to do with that <laughs> area. Only, only 40 years. It, <laughs> and, and this president and uh, the Congress uh, came up with a plan and directed us to develop a leasing program and do uh, two lease sales over a 10-year period. And so we're in the process of doing the environmental analysis to do that, finalizing that, finalizing um, uh, our environmental analysis relating to endangered species, and then we'll certainly finalize the plan and begin the process to conduct a lease sale. Rapid fire, best place to go fishing in America. Well, I fish a lot on the Chesapeake Bay, so I gotta I say that's so you're where in the I right go. neighborhood for it. Absolutely. Uh, will the Nats win the World Series? I sure hope so. I got two kids that are banking on it. <laughs> and final question, you gotta tell us this story. When you were 16 years old, you actually created an arcade in Colorado because you didn't. And, and, and my understanding was that you were so used to the boom and bust cycle in Colorado and the economic impacts of, of the energy sector that you said we gotta have new revenue for Rifle Colorado. So you created an arcade. Tell that's us that story. It's a fascinating well, insight into you. That, that, that's right. I grew up in a town that uh, went through a major um, oil shale bust, and about uh, 2,500 folks lost their jobs in a single day. And that has a devastating effect on a small town. And it's something you it, remember. And Oh, it's, it's indelibly uh, etched in your mind. But what, what I did is I thought, man, we need a place where folks can go uh, hang out just because. Um, uh, things were really tough. And I went to the city council and I said, I have an idea. Um, I found out that to do my idea, they had to put a lot of taxes on arcades uh, and on video machines. So I went down and said, hey, give me a tax break on my video games. And they uh, they felt uh, like they could go with me on that one, and they did. So I, I got a break, and I, that was my first experience on what high taxes meant to small businesses. Secretary Bernhardt, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming on Bloomberg Sound On. Would you come back? Anytime. All right. David Bernhardt, U.S. Secretary of Interior. That was my conversation with him earlier today. Coming up, what's on the panel's radar? I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. That's Beautiful Day by U2 off of my all-time favorite album, All That You Can't Leave Behind by U2. But we're not a rock show. We're a political policy show. And it's now time for What's on the Panel's ra uh, Radar. That song always puts me in a good mood. Hagar Shamali's here. She's uh, an insider of foreign policy. She's worked in Democratic and cons uh, conservative administration on terrorism and financial intelligence. Dave Brown, Democratic strategist. And Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg News politics editor. Thank you all so much for being here. I'm excited because this is such a great panel today, and you all have very different interests as it relates to the political policy world. So I don't know what you're going to say is on your radar, but Hagar Shamali, I will start with you. What is on your radar? 
Well, I am. I've been really impressed with Vice President Pence's speech today on Hong Kong, on the Hong Kong protests and toward China. He this was really, a big speech. This was a big speech. I don't think it got the coverage that it should have. Um, most importantly, because he said everything right. Let's <laughs> listen. You know that. I mean, I am very objective in my criticism. Um, late, certainly, the last few weeks, I've been very critical of the administration's foreign policy. But he really did get everything right. He um, he said that. You know, that Hong Kong is what China could be if it embraced liberty. He slammed the Chinese for their treatment of the Uyghurs. He slammed the NBA and Nike for siding with Beijing. And most importantly, I want to I want to share one specific quote that he said about the Hong Kong protesters. He said, quote, we stand with you. We are inspired by you. We urge you to stay on the path of nonviolent protest. And. That's amazing. We've been waiting for this. Those of us who've been following this protest, we've been waiting for this. I was at the White House during the Arab Spring, and I remember how difficult it was to figure out U.S. policy toward each country and to figure out what to say. And those words really matter to the people on the ground. And China is a complicated one. I mean, I get it. I I always thought that the administration should have come out in, in favor of the protesters, but I can understand why it was a difficult decision. Why? Take, well, like, because of the pause. trade talks, because of the, the trade talks and those trade talks impact Americans. Right. So there's a direct impact on how we deal with China regarding our consumership, our prices, our things like that. Right now, we've already gone down that path. It's just been yeah. so remarkable. It's remarkable to see just the multi layers of everything. Yes. I mean, this has just been all encompassing. Mm-hmm. My, my mentor and friend here at Bloomberg, Tom Keen, always says, don't conflate stories. But this is one that touches everything from LeBron James to Hong Kong, yeah, NBA, to free Nike, speech. to free speech, to this stuff high, matters. high fashion. Yeah. I mean, it's right. just been so for for Vice President Pence to get out there to deliver a hawkish speech. And Hagar, I'm not putting you on the spot. You've been quite critical of the Trump administration and your public comments. I always read you on NBC.com. You've got this column that comes out, right? You're no, I had an op-ed an recently. Op-ed? Yeah, yeah, like yeah, reading that. Yeah. But for this, for him to do this today, what take us behind the scenes. Why do you think they, they the administration thought it was important for the vice president to get out front? Uh, on this, especially today at this particular moment? Well, they've been under pressure to say something. So for the last, since June, when the protests started, uh, the the administration has been under pressure to come out and voice support for the Hong Kong protesters. And given that they have previously, I mean, their their policies actually are just, they, they tend to be a little contradictory or, or hypocritical in some, in some instances. However, they've been strong about or, or purported to be strong about supporting um, uh, or, or being against political prisoners abroad and things of that nature. And so we've all been waiting for them to come out with something. They have to say something. You as the United States, as the leader of the free world, you have an, a responsibility to come out with some kind of statement when you see situations around the world that have to do with a majority voicing their opinion about something. And again, I can understand why it's difficult. When I handled Syria at the beginning of the Syria crisis, it took us months to call on Syria President Assad to step down, and he was a blatant murderer and um, and remains so. And so I can understand the complexities, and with China, it's even worse than Syria. With Syria, we had no economic relationship. We had barely a diplomatic relationship. The only reason we stalled was because of the hope of peace with wow. Israel. But with China, you're talking about ha- something that has an impact as much broader implications. Fascinating. So that's what's on my mind. I wish I could add about the Lebanon protest. As a, an American of Lebanese descent, I am fascinated with what's happening yeah. over there. Come back. But we'll I want to get everyone it. else. We'll yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Regard, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm always appreciative for your time and your insights because you really 
have again worked in, in, in administrations on both sides of the aisle and, and you're able to look at this uh, through such a with experience on foreign policy. Dave, what's on your radar? Dave Brown, Democratic strategist. I'm gonna take us back to the to the United States for a moment. To the because, trail. <laughs> because I, I certainly cannot speak with any degree of authority in what we just heard. Um, I'm focused on Iowa. Yes. And I'm, I'm super interested. I want to go to Iowa. I miss it. I miss I, I'm jealous of Tyler Pager, our Bloomberg campaign you trail reporter. Go. Kevin, you should. You I should would totally love go. to have some bison in, in, in Des Moines. <laughs> well, look, I'm focused on that the are civ- being tariffs. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm the the civics poll that came out today. I'm sure you saw it. And I just want to read a couple numbers because I think it's super interesting. So Elizabeth Warren now firmly ensconced at the top of the field, 28 percent. Pete Buttigieg jumping to 20 percent. Uh, Amy Klobuchar, interestingly, coming in at 4%, which actually puts her in fifth place. Joe Biden dropped to 12%. Wow. wow. And that is, I think, really, wow. really interesting for a couple of reasons. One, the fact that we've seen Senator Klobuchar jump the field the way she has is definitely a reflection of the debate and the fact that the fact that I, I think there's an ascendancy of centrist candidates. Uh, Pete and, and, and Senator Klobuchar taking on Elizabeth Warren on Medicare for All during the last debate. That was a really interesting exchange. And, you know, the reality that, that Vice President Biden has lost his hold, I think, speaks just to, to frankly, where this is probably going to net out for him. Um, and Elizabeth Warren, now firmly ensconced as the progressive, she's still straddling that line a bit in terms of also trying to play, I think, a strategic role in, in, in pulling some voters away from Joe Biden. Um, but, you know, Bernie Sanders is is clearly uh, at 18 percent. He's, he's behind um, he's behind Elizabeth Warren by, what, 10 points? But he's well ahead of Biden. I mean, that's yeah, what's fascinating. Yeah. And then when you start breaking down, like, who's the second choice for these folks? That gets super interesting. And Elizabeth Warren just heads and tails. Anna Edger, that's, that's, that is very interesting, especially in Iowa. And the Biden campaign has been pushing that they're in it for the long haul. But how did that work out for Rudy Giuliani? Uh, <laughs> well, and his, and his Florida. I mean, I'm not yeah. talking about now. I'm talking about in the past when he banked on Florida. Anna Edgerton, Bloomberg News Politics Editor. What's on your radar? I am looking at all impeachment the remainder of this week and next week. Um, I think that we're kind of entering a new phase of the investigations. There's going to be a hearing on Saturday, which I am unfortunately going to be covering, but um, <laughs> with uh, the State Department's Phil Reeker. And, you know, pretty soon we're going to be here seeing those public hearings. So that'll be an interesting development. My good friend Nancy Lyons just messaged in our group chat for behind the scenes just this, some breaking news, which I guess is on my radar, but I have another thing I want to talk about, too. Uh, the, Wa- the Wall Street Journal is reporting that President Trump said he planned to attend the World Series on Sunday when Washington is hosting Game 5 of the matchup between the hometown Nationals and the Houston Astros. President Trump will be attending, uh, according to the journal, uh, the uh, the game on, on Sunday. But and if th- the Nats lose, he's definitely getting impeached. Oh, <laughs> but if they win, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Hey, they're up to an all right. So here's what's actually on my radar. I was so disappointed I couldn't attend one of my favorite events in Washington the other evening. I had other plans, but the Elizabeth Dole Foundation uh, had their annual gala, uh, which helps caregivers for military families. They just do incredible work. It's a nonpartisan event, and the Elizabeth Dole Foundation. Uh, honored Michelle Obama, uh, along with other Republicans, and Elizabeth Dole spoke and, and called for unity uh, and helping our brave servicemen and women who serve overseas. But I, I, I wanted to, we at Bloomberg, we talk a lot about artificial intelligence, and one of the things that the Elizabeth Dole Foundation uh, promoted last evening was this partnership and technology consulting that they've developed with Booz Allen. And what it does is it's a map that relies on high-tech technology that will allow for military caregivers' locations 
uh, to be shared to help individuals' needs who must be addressed. So it's a, an interesting display of the, the public and the private sector working together with great groups like the Elizabeth Dole Foundation uh, to help, again, uh, so many of our military caregivers and, and their families and the people that they are hap uh, working with. And they're working with the Department of Veterans Affairs and the Census Bureau. So that's what's on my radar. Some nonpartisanship here. Thank you to our panel. Thank you to lis for listening. Download the Bloomberg Sound on podcasts on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com and the Bloomberg Business app. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.